and welcome to You Know I'm Right, the podcast, your home for weekly debates on hot topics that everybody seems to have a very large opinion on. We are two boomers, one millennial, two parents, one child. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And that's my mom and dad. If you've been listening to our previous four episodes, you know that we pick a topic, we debate it, we don't have to disagree, but we do have to have good conversation. And that good conversation means that we have to use reliable sources, or if we use something that is heavily opinionated, editorial, or leans far left or far right, we have to let the other person know. We do have to cite our sources, and these will all be available on our new website coming up shortly. And we're going to get right into it. This is an election year, as I'm sure you all know. It's coming up, and it is a heavily contested election from everything to do with the process, which you may have known from last week's discussion on mail-in ballots. But we decided to keep it going. And so this week, we are talking about the Electoral College. The Electoral College is actually an interesting thing. People either love it or hate it. But according to a study from the National Bureau of Economic Research, every presidential election from 1836 to 2016, on average, the popular vote winner could lose the Electoral College 40% of the time in elections decided by 2 billion, million votes or less. And even in the last five elections, two presidents have been elected that did not win the popular vote. So there's a lot to kind of dig into here, and we're going to see if we like it if we don't like it, and figure out what might be a better option for the only democracy in the world that does not do one vote per person per count. Um, Mom, Dad, are you guys for or against the Electoral College? Well, I started out against it. Mm -hmm. And after I really did some reading and contemplating and educating myself, I... Um, changed my opinion to for it. Interesting. I can't wait to hear more. Um, Dad, what about you? Been for one vote, one person, and I said that last time, but I am for the Electrical College, and we'll get into why I'm for that as we dive into the conversation during this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm pretty sure it's no surprise that I'm against it. Even after doing my research, I still believe that being a democracy, we should be one vote per person. And I believe that the Electoral College um, unfairly misrepresents people within a state. Because if um, you are, most of the states, I believe it's 48 of them, um, if the people largely vote for Republican and all the electoral votes go towards the Republican, making, you know, the Democrat, their vote not count. And I think that discourages a lot of people from voting. Um, I think one vote, one person would kind of solve a lot of our problems, but I want to hear a little bit more from you guys. And mom, I'm really curious about what it was that really changed your mind from against it to for it. Um, I always felt like one vote Per person should be counted, but um, for for some of the reasons that you have stated, it seemed to me like the popular vote was never really taken to heart. But after 
I read some of the arguments about why we should not do anything but the electoral college, I changed my mind. For instance, if we did do a popular vote versus the electoral college, we would have so many more candidates popping up for to run for the presidential elections that it would almost dilute the popular vote to where even though we did have one vote per person, the election of the president would be an even larger process because it could just go into doing more votes in a longer extended voting period. Mm -hmm. Then there would be some of the smaller states, I think that would be wholly ignored on the campaign trail because they don't count as much. So you would have a lot of the candidates doing their um, discussions and polling in um, states where the where the people were more heavily populated and ignored in the other states. And I think that would cause some problems down the line too versus this, um, our electoral college. I think that the winner-takes-all approach kind of cancels the votes that are cast for a state's presidential choice. And, and that's where I stand. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of stumbling over my words here, but... Um, You're fine. Um, I do like that you bring up that you feel like smaller states would be ignored, but I kind of feel like with the electoral college, they already are. And most people that are on the campaign trail will spend their time in what's, you know, considered swing states or things like that. And the last 28% of their campaign is usually spent in very specific states. So a lot of these smaller states are already ignored. Well, Jess, when you, when you bring up about swing states, uh, back in this last presidential election, 2016, two-thirds, uh, that was 273 of the 399 general election campaign events were held in just six states that you say were swing states, and that was Florida, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Virginia, and Michigan. Six states draw all the attention for being swing states, and they actually, if you throw in Wisconsin, were the ones that decided the election. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a process problem. If, if you go back to one person, one vote, the politicians themselves have taken that away by the process they have in place. When, when you talk about the states giving all their electoral votes to who wins that state, that does go back to one person, one vote. And there are all but two states, Maine and Nebraska, that operates that way where they give whoever wins that state, all the electoral votes. For that to be changed, that's up to powers that be to say this isn't one person, one vote. Yeah, there have been over 700 proposals introduced to Congress to reform or eliminate the Electoral College. I think most famously back in 1969, um, 
when we were looking at Nixon versus Kennedy, and it did make it into the second step before it was filibustered. Um, it's a tough thing. And what I kind of looked at, kind of playing off what you just said, Dad, talking about swing states and small states, I found this really neat study. Um, it's on a blog called Indistinguishable from Jesse. The guy's name is Jesse Ruderman. And he did a study on the basic algorithm of the Electoral College. And a president could technically get elected if they won only 22% of the popular vote through the Electoral College. So they would basically just have to get 50% of the votes in Washington, D.C., and then win the 39 small states that would give them exactly 270 electoral votes. And that would still only give them 22% of the popular vote. So if they did focus on the small states, and I think this is kind of what Donald Trump did, you know, he was smart, he gamed the system, he knew where to put his attention and get the necessary electoral votes to pull it off. And I've also seen that it's a very good chance that he could win again solely due to strategies in the Electoral College, but how would you feel if a candidate obviously was not the popular choice by a long margin, he only won 22% of the vote, but now he's your president because he gamed the Electoral College? You've seen that happen, like you say, in five elections most recently in 2016. But those were only like 500,000 to uh, I think 2.5 million vote difference, which isn't as much as a candidate only getting 22% of the vote. So I, I guess it's more like, how would you feel if the Electoral College was used in a way where the president was somebody that nobody wanted? <laughs> I'm just laughing because there are so many people that don't want this president. That... Yeah. <laughs> but like the whole country collectively is like, heck no. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you vote for the, against the person you don't want instead of the mm -hmm. person you do want. But whether, whether it's 2 million votes or 20 million votes, it, it shows that the system isn't right. Mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to the politicians. Um, you know, when, when you talked earlier about changing the Electoral College in, in the 60s, there was a young Democratic senator from Indiana, um, Evan By or Birch By, I'm sorry, Evan was his son, that brought a measure before the House and Senate to help change that. And actually, that's where the 25th Amendment comes from. Mm -hmm. A Democratic senator making that change, which in fact helped the Republicans win. You know, it's kind of ironic a person trying to do the right thing has hurt the party that he's associated with. Yeah. What do you think, Mom? Well, I think it would be highly disturbing to know that <clears throat> I had elected a president that I didn't vote for. Based on that amount of differences, you know, what'd you say, 22% or? Yeah, you can get 22% of the popular vote and still win the presidency if you play it right by taking mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. and 39 small states. Mm-hmm. I'd say that strategy worked for that person. Mm -hmm. um, and you know what? That's what it's all about. Democracy. <laughs> if that person's out there and he campaigned that way to win those states, then... But, but Jess, don't you think if, if that was to happen, that that small percentage 
elected a president, that's a glaring issue that politics have missed people and what they want. Because if that small of a group elects a president, and it's because people, voters, feel that their issues and what affects them isn't being addressed. I think that was a real glaring spot in the 2016 presidential election that people were taking for granted that, hey, they're going to vote a certain way. And it goes back to concentrating in those swing states. And that makes the rest of the states just spectators. You do make a very valid point there about being a spectator state or being a state where you have voters who just automatically think because of their party's association that they're going to win. And that's when everything can become topsy-turvy and the and everybody is surprised at the end. Yeah. And I think, you know, like you said, when people already assume where their state is going to go, that leads to people not voting or uh, because they feel like, oh, we're already a Republican state or, oh, I'm a Democrat in a Republican state, so my vote doesn't count. And I just think it's such a shame that we, as, you know, a top power democracy, have people that simply don't vote because they think they don't count. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons I'm really kind of against it. Dad, I know you're really big into upholding the Constitution. So I don't know if you found this in your research. You might have. Um, If you're listening, Dad does amazing amounts of research. He currently has 45 pages for today's discussion. Um, Puts me to shame every week. But uh, the Warren Court, they, uh, in 1962 with Baker versus Carr established one person, one vote principle. And in 1964 with Reynolds v. Sims, they stated that the constitution mandated state legislative districts must be roughly equal in population. Uh, That was a big issue beforehand where the, a lot of electoral votes would go to primarily white areas and urban or minority areas would be given less votes, even though they had a higher population. So those were kind of overturned. But the Warren Court basically also said that the Electoral College is not constitutional, first of all, because the Constitution promises that all men are created equal, and the Electoral College does not create equality. Um, and also, the Electoral College is not actually named in the constitution. It just says electorates, not electoral college. So uh, from a fierce defender of the constitution, what would you say about that? Well, if you go back to the constitution, it, it doesn't actually you know, spell that out. You go back to the Federalist Papers and from the history.house.gov government, and it talks about representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state. And here here was a thought that, that got me. It was so early that excluding Indians that are not taxed, but when the right to vote at any election for the choice of electors for the president and vice president of the United States representatives in Congress and executive and judicial officers of a state or members of legislation thereof is denied to any of the male inhabitants, seeing women back then weren't even included mm-hmm. of such state, being 21 years of age and citizens of the United States or in any way abridged except for participation in rebellion or other crime 
the basis of rotation, therefore, shall be reduced in the proportion which the number of such male citizens shall bear to the whole number of male citizens 21 years of age. And that is in the U.S. Constitution. That's Amendment 14, Section 2. Put so it in it, 1845, though, right? Right. And that is out in the Constitution. Now, if it's it's like all the other amendments, that there's something that is a glaring defect, then that, that is up to the, the members of Congress to change that. And I think there has to be a glaring defect because like we said earlier, there's been 700 attempts to ratify and change this. So if there have been 700 attempts, obviously people are constantly saying that this is not right, but nothing ever moves forward. Um, I think that might be from people not wanting to lose power or learning how to game the system. Um, I don't know. Why do you think that those 700 attempts have never worked before or changed the Electoral College really since, uh, you know, 1845 and then with by in the 60s? Well, and, and I think you touched on it right there, people losing power. Once they get into a position of power, they don't want to give it up. Yeah. And it, it just goes back to once they're elected, they're not representing the people that elected them. And I think a lot of people do not understand the voting process that when you go and you do your primary elections, they don't understand that you're voting for a candidate and his electors that are members of the electoral college. And that, that goes back to what's not taught in, in school anymore. That's, that's part of a civics class that you should make these younger people who are getting the chance to maybe vote for the first time, how the process works and what all is involved. It's just not, Hey, I, I like this person that is on this party's ticket. I'm going to vote for them. It's deeper than that. And the population that's in school is not being taught the whole process of voting. Yeah. Or even how to change it. Everyone thinks that, you know, we can just do away with the electoral college, but if we do want to change something, it requires a two-thirds supermajority in Congress and then um, ratification by three-fourths of the state. So that's a huge, huge undertaking to try to get that to change. Um, I'm really curious to know what you like about the electoral college, why you think it is the right process for our democracy? I, I think if you look at pros and cons, and the pros are that the founding fathers came up with the U.S. Constitution because they thought it was the best method to choose the president. And, and I, I think their basis still holds credit today. They, when they did the Electoral College, their thought was that it was ensuring that all parts of the country are involved in selecting a president. Now that's been watered down some by politicians and the way that they have put in place the states granting 100% of their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote in that state. Then you take another look, electoral college it guarantees some sort of certainty to the outcome of the presidential election. And that goes back to mm -hmm. the votes in each state. So in a way, every person's vote 
counts, it's put into a basket, but then whichever basket has the most votes in that state, that presidential candidate gets all the the votes in the basket. Yeah, I'm going to take you back to the founding fathers real quick, though, because I don't actually agree that it's what they viewed was best because when they went into the Philadelphia convention, they were the very first country basically to elect a leader and having just came out of, you know, the tyranny and the British, um, uh, you know, we were a colony. So being a British colony, they were kind of doing something that nobody else had done and they were arguing about it so much kind of, um, they call it the great compromise where finally it was the only way that they could get states to kind of come together, just tidying up that whole Philadelphia convention, the great compromise very quickly. Um, But a lot of that had to do with not letting the people vote because they didn't want people to vote through different inequities. And they were actually very scared of the popular vote, especially in rural areas. They were afraid of uh, what they call democratic mobs. And they were also afraid that if a president so appealed to the populace that uh, they would give them a dangerous amount of power. So they were kind of scared of that tyranny. And so they made this compromise to bring out the electoral college in order to get all the states to kind of join the union. So from the beginning, I find it ironic that the electoral college was kind of put together out of a fear of executive power, and yet it's kind of turned into a beast of executive power. We we say this, or at least I do, every time we have a discussion of how the political system is not transparent, and I just go back to transparency and what lies beneath the, the surface of politics. You know, and, and when the founding fathers came here from the different different countries, I think they brought with them for leaving and what they thought would be a, a good fix. And the Electoral College was a compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and Benjamin Franklin was a lot of the influence in getting that finalized. They faced a big challenge from where they were at in the Northeast, trying to be democratic and ensuring people's voice was heard. Um, yeah, to some degree for, uh, I know you're not gonna like what I'm about to say, but the Electoral College is very largely rooted in making sure that black people don't have a voice. Uh, you have that with uh, the three-fifths compromise in which each slave at the time would only be counted as three-fifths of a purpose or as a person um, because like Virginia, Um, Slaves were 60% of the population and James Madison didn't want them to overtake white residents. And a lot of studies come out and they'll talk about how the Electoral College was specifically a workaround for slavery and to encourage the continuation of slavery. And I think we still see that kind of infiltrating the system through gerrymandering and up until the 70s misappropriation of districts and electors things like that so it does kind of have a little bit of a dark history in that we feel now you know we put so much weight into our founding fathers and we put them on such a pedestal when they had no idea we'd eventually be 50 states that we'd be as large as we are now 
there weren't political parties at the time that this was put in. And I don't really think they had any idea what they were doing because like we already said, they were the first people to put down a system for electing a democratic representative. It had never really been done before. So with that history in place, and I know that, you know, we've ratified a lot and we've given voting rights to women and, you know, to black people in the U S um, but it, it still feels like it was put in place to kind of suppress the vote and support a specific person. And I'm just not sure that with that being one of the main reasons why it was put in place that we really shouldn't move to one person, one vote, because the Constitution does say all men are created equal. And, and you know, that, that's a good point that at the founding of our country, people were treated wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you go back to two black people that were enslaved at that time. You know, they were thought of back then as property, mm-hmm. and no person should be considered property. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not, they're human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and the steps that were taken in, in following years as people came to think of each other as being equal, slowly steps were taken. Mm-hmm. And they were hard times, bad times, and wrong but processes have been put in place. Women vote, people, everyone, white, black, brown, red, vote. Mm-hmm. And we embrace that change because it is the right thing to do. But you had to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we can go back and look at history and we should. You, you can't change history why it was put in place and really you shouldn't change history. You should learn from it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's what we are doing. We are learning from past mistakes where we do not do them again. Yeah. Well, I hope we are. <laughs> yeah, and it's, the one thing we haven't touched in this conversation, you know, we, we have concentrated on two parties, Republican Democrats. Mm-hmm. What happens if it ever comes to where there is a, independent party what happens then i mean you, you look at and i'll just continue one little thing yeah, yeah. you look at the senator from vermont Bernie sanders he's elected as an independent but for him to run for president it's either a democrat or republican even though you have a sitting senator that's elected as an independent he doesn't have a snowball's chance of being president unless he aligns with one Yeah. And I think we can take that back to Ross Perot where he got, I think it was 28% of the vote, but no electoral um, college votes at all. It was 19%. 19%. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't find it while I was clicking through my tabs. (laughs) Thanks mom. I'm glad to hear your voice. (laughs) I know you've had a little bit of a cough, so trying to keep that at bay. Um, But Chai, I want to hear from you. Um, Dad and I are kind of dominating right now, but I would love to hear some of your thoughts on what we've talked about. Well, if you were talking about the um, black vote and, you know, during that time, the women or white men without property could not vote either. So it wasn't always the white vote that was counted in there. And um, that that a relatively small number of people actually have the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And 
we've put in place different amendments. Of course, women had to fight for the right to vote and they got that. And then the freeing of the slaves gave them the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So through time, voting has changed I think the name electoral college finally evolved from the idea of an electorate as it was first stated, because people, I think it's more defining. Of course, it's not a place you can go, it's an idea, but the concepts of the idea, I think are more understandable today than they were when this was first laid out. I just wanted to chime in there real quick because you said the end of slavery gave um, blacks the right to vote, but that wasn't until Ulysses S. Grant when he did the 15th Amendment, and that was in 1870. So it was a, quite a ways later and quite a big fight for them as well. But just to set that timeline in case um, mm -hmm. any of our listeners come in on that. So Yes, that um, is true. It was with Grant. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. I just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did because it wasn't an right to vote and for the black vote it was almost a hundred years later mm -hmm. mom what do you like about the of, of what you did the the computers helped bring so many things you know forward you know it's just like now you can push a button on google and fact check anything so mm -hmm. well i think one of the reasons that that was kind of a profound moment for me with this decision that the electoral college is not a bad thing, is that we are the United States of America. So when you have a state, you have your voters, the votes are cast and placed into either Democrat or Republican, and based on the outcome, the state is either red or blue, and you're electorate goes forward and casts those votes based on the majority. And that is where we get the United States of America. So we're all united in this voting process. But if you feel that way, and you feel like the electoral college makes us united, um, there are a lot of states where, I mean, basically, there's really no need for a president to campaign in Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, the Dakotas, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, West Virginia, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Maryland, Delaware, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont, Hawaii, or Alaska. So those states account for 54% of the population and they're decided by majority rule where basically that means that one single vote really doesn't matter and um, politicians don't have to look at it. They don't have to pay attention to them. So does it really unite us if it creates inequalities and inequities within the system? And that's where we as the population should be up in arms that especially in those states you mentioned, Mm -hmm. because the politicians and, and they rely on those swing states to win an election. You mm -hmm. know, the, like you said earlier, the rest of us are spectator states. So is it the electoral college as it was founded 
centuries ago, or is it the politicians of today that have taken the U.S. and sectioned it up to where they have states that are locked into them to where they can commit the resources to just the swing states that will get them elected. Yeah, and I think even if you look at New York City and New York in general, um, if you took New York's 29 votes, I found this on Pace Magazine, uh, if you took New York's 29 votes and treated New York City like its own state, New York State would have the same population of Ohio, they'd have 18 electoral votes, and New York City would have the population of Virginia with 13 electoral votes. But when you put New York State and New York City together, um, the Republicans that are in New York are completely lost in the fact that New York City dominates uh, Democrats. So anyone like upstate, Hamptons area, things like that, really don't have any say in the US presidential election, but they're still a very considerable population just because one city skews them. And that goes back to the states saying whoever wins the popular vote, it's all their electoral count. So the, the, the politicians that keep it that way are suppressing the voters in that state. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it goes back to where you see something that's wrong, like letting women vote or blacks vote, but their votes are heard, then the system that you just described needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. I, I still think it should be electorals that cast a vote but the way that the votes are counted into that, the popular vote, needs to have a different way of being the electorals into the basket that's counted for that state. Maybe the one thing that New York needs to consider is the districts, like, um, is it Delaware that's broken down into districts? Mm, I'm not sure. But as an example, there's one state that has districts and maybe New York could consider adopting something like that. It'd take amendments, of course, but um, I understand what you're saying about the Republican vote being dissolved. Mm -hmm. And it does appear that way with every state, if you think about it. It happens um, for example, when um, Virginia votes cast for Mondale in 1980 were canceled because all 13 of its electoral votes were given to Reagan. Yeah. Well, why do you guys think that we... Oh, sorry, Mom, go ahead. I was just going to say all elections have this effect. Everybody walks away saying, how did this happen? I, I think it's just historical. Why do you think, though, if we love the Electoral College so much, why don't you think we use it for our governors and other positions as well? Because we can do a one vote, one voice for every other important political office. Well, I, I think, to, to answer your question in my thoughts, all the other elections that you have are for the state, and each state is individual. And I, I go back to, I do not want the federal government mandating how my state is ran. So you go back to the state and, and let the state decide by a popular vote 
who runs the state, whether it's your town official, your mayor of the a bigger portion, like downtown Indianapolis here, or the governor. That is the people in that state. Now, when you go for a president, that is the one person that oversees all the states. So that's why you have the electoral college so that each state can put towards the election of the president. There, there are, that's apples and oranges there when you compare what is done locally as opposed to the whole country. Okay, because I know that's a popular point of contention a lot of times when people are talking about the electoral college. I'm also really interested to know what you guys think about faithless electors. So electors who don't cast their ballot according to what should be elected. Um, in 2016, we actually had the highest number in any modern election with seven electors defecting. And um, it kind of became an issue. There was a lawsuit filed in Colorado that challenged the legality of state requirements, but there was a federal court case, uh, Baca versus Hickenlooper, that says states cannot penalize faithless electors, no matter the intent of the elector or the outcome of the state vote. This is uh, from brookings.edu. So if we're putting all of our faith into these electors and then they decide that they're not going to listen to us and they can do what they want and um, not get in trouble for it. What, what do you think about that? Or do you think maybe we should overthrow that decision and make sure that they are following the voice of the people? Well, you know, like you say, you can't force a person to do something. And that, that goes back to the two-part pro process of selecting an electoral. You know, the, the electoral is first choosing each state's electors is a two-part process. The political parties in each state choose slates of potential electors. Um, during the general election, the voters in each state select their state's electors by casting ballots for the, the, the person um, that they want to be elected. So whoever you, as a voter, select, their electorals follow them. And if those electorals do not vote for the person that the people selected as, as their candidate, you know, shame on them. The, the party has failed to get the right elector date. You know, there, there's no constitutional provision or federal law that requires the electors to vote. But, you know, there are some states that require the electors to cast their votes according to the popular vote. You know, it, that, that goes back to the person going against the will of the people that voted for the candidate through USA.gov election website. And you know, I, I just found it interesting uh, information that says, you know, the, the, these electors, you know, how they're elected or how they're put on the slate with the candidate and 
for them not to follow through with the will of the people, that's not the electoral college's fault. That goes back to the party that put those electors on the slate with the candidate. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I do like your take on that. Um, I just, you know, think it, I'm the type of person, if you're meant to do a job, you do the job. So if you're meant to follow the voice of your people, you do the voice of your people. But, you know, that is a very, um, you know, good take on it for sure. Um, there actually recently something called the NPVIC, the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Uh, this was formed in 2008, but 15 states in the District of Columbia have used NPVIC to pass laws that commit electors to vote for candidates um, who win the nationwide popular vote within, uh, so they look at the popular vote instead of the state votes, but um, it would only actually become effective nationwide if states ratify it in order to reach an electoral majority of 270 votes. So I think that there are some things that people are doing. The last Gallup poll that I saw, I think it said 53% of the U.S. wants to do away with the Electoral College. Um, and it's mainly Democrats that want to get away with it. Uh, the Electoral College actually favors Republicans, where in a close race, the Republican is more likely to win and lose the popular vote, whereas Democrats usually only win the presidency if it is a landslide election, which I did find really interesting for some reason. I didn't expect that. Um, so as we stand still, both of you are for the Electoral College and you're you're good with it you're confident in the system yeah and i'll back up for just a moment when i, I talked about the electors being on the slate and follow following their candidates um, if if you do a little more looking and i should have mentioned this uh -huh. the there's a national association of secretary of states the, each state has a secretary of state and, and they have their own association they have compiled a brief summary of state laws and various procedures that go from state to state. So if, if you go to, and it's called the NAA National Association of Secretaries of State's website, they have a summary of state laws regarding presidential electors. So that may be something that people want to see what the laws are in, in each of their states. And, and that would help them understand the voting process and how it's supposed to go. The, mm -hmm. the, the comments you made about popular vote favoring one party or the other, and just, I'm just gonna throw this out as being a registered Democrat. We could take, for Democrats, California, New York, and a couple of the other states where it is highly concentrated Democrats and have enough popular votes to elect a president and smaller states maybe that are more concentrated with rural you know in the farming communities where their votes wouldn't count so there is no perfect system but how do we make make it equitable for everybody um, i i like the electoral college but i think it needs to be tweaked I think the root and the start of that is going back to the states where it's winner take all. 
maybe you look at the percentage of the popular vote that was cast and you give a percentage wise of the electoral votes to the candidate that got those. So in, instead of saying your state um, has 20 electoral votes, instead of giving if they got 17% of the votes, you give that party 17 electoral votes and the other party three. And that way every vote would count. What, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think we, if we wanna change something, we have to throw out solutions. We can't just say something needs to change and not have options or ideas to put on to create change. And I think that's a big problem is everybody wants to change things and nobody wants to talk about how or create ideas or throw proposals out. So um, definitely think that's fair. Um, yeah, this Let is- Let me ask you one quick, and, and I should have brought this up when I talked about just having two parties and what if you have a third. Right now, if one, candidate does not get a majority of votes, you have a process of a contingent election, goes to the House Representative. There, that is, if that scenario was to happen, then the person that the state has elected to be their representative casts a vote for the president. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it goes back even deeper of one person, one vote, if you have a, a deadlock of delegates, uh, you know, it, 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 these are just things, like I said earlier, that need to go back to civics classes and, and teach the upcoming group of voters this process and things to think deeper into who you're putting in place to represent you. Yeah, but you know, thankfully, the House hasn't actually had to decide a vote in, since 1824. So, mm -hmm. technically, could it be working then? Um, and a lot of people argue that thanks to the Electoral College, we have had 200 years of a strong functioning democracy where the changes were done properly and no big coups or issues with the exchanging of power. So, you know, I, I can see both sides for it. For sure, I can see and understand both sides of the argument. Um, I know I wouldn't want a vote now to go to the House. I would then really feel like my voice didn't count at all. So I'm glad that we haven't had to do that in a very long time, 200 years almost. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Right now the House is so divided. Yeah. That um, deciding our president yeah. is best interest. Definitely. You um, know, out of all of the times that um, a candidate wins a popular vote but loses the Electoral College, there's only been five, the latest being Hillary Clinton in 2016 to Donald Trump. And prior to that was Al Gore in 2000 to George Bush. Mm -hmm. So it does validate that our Electoral College does work for the people to to a to the probably the better betterment than a popular vote 
any closing thoughts or any big facts that you haven't gotten to throw out yet, but that you're just dying to put out there? I'm not I'm's article. Um, it was by Natalie, and I had to spell her last name, P-R-O-U-L-X, and she went in and referenced two opinion columnists, and they did an issue on getting rid of the electoral college isn't just about Trump. Um, the first one was um, Jamel, and I have to spell their last name, B-O-U-I-E, and they made an argument for why the electoral college should be abolished. And, and part of what I thought was interesting is that take rural representation. If you conceive rural America as a set of states, the electoral college of the president, I'm sorry, the electoral college does not give voters in Iowa, Montana, or Wyoming say in the selection of the president. If you conceive it as a population of voters, on the other hand, the picture is different. Roughly 60 million Americans live in rural counties, and they aren't all concentrated in rural states. Millions live in large and mid-sized states like California, New York, Illinois, Alabama, and South Carolina. For president, you can imagine a Republican campaign that links rural voters in California, where 5 million people live in rural counties, to those in New York, where roughly 1.4 million people live in rural counties. In other words, rural interest would be represented from coast to coast, as opposed to a system that only weights those that live in swing states. So that was a, a good argument of saying rule, and it, you know, it, it's a contradiction to weigh, but if you go on and, and look at the other opinion writer, their name was Ross, and once again, I'll have to spell their last name. It's D-O-U-T-H-A-T. He made a counter that the Electoral College creates incentives for political parties to try to break the regional blocks controlled by the opposition. Rather than just maximizing turnout in their own areas, because you win the presidency consistently only as a part of multiple regions, and you can crack a rival's narrow majority by flipping a few states. And that goes back to swing states and why they're concentrated on. So you, you've got two good points made from opposing ide ideals of, of what to do and, and, and how to fix the, the situation. But I liked your idea about dividing the electoral college votes among the different buckets based on the popular vote for that state. Um, I think that's something that I don't know if it's ever been considered, but it's something that May, might warrant a look at. Well, you know, it, it, if, you, if you think about it, you know, s some people will argue that the Electoral College keeps large states from dominating small ones if there was no such system. Um, the Electoral College wasn't there if you look back in 2016, in Florida, cast about 35 million ballots. That, that's probably roughly a quarter of the 137 million that were cast. 
So th those four states cast a quarter of all the ballots. Mm -hmm. you, a lot of power. Pardon? It's a lot of power. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And you, you take those four states and then the six swing states, you've got basically six states that pick your president. Yep. And see, that's the part I don't like. I think um, the balance needs to be revisited. And I know it's done on population and it's refigured with every census. But um, I wonder sometimes, like California has 55, you know, electoral votes. Indiana has 11. So maybe look at that number that's assigned in some way. Well, they do every 10 years with the census. So they reallocate electoral votes according to the census, but then that takes us to our censuses actually authentic and exactly. properly done. So, exactly. you know, and I don't want to get off our subject of the electoral college, but when you bring up census and it, it's a big part of, of politics, mm -hmm. the census counts people, not citizens. And your census determines how many representatives you have in that state. Yeah. So states can gain or lose representatives based on the population. But in a sense, you can have non-U.S. citizens affecting the representation of your state, which can have a, an influence on presidential. can have a negative effect yeah, on it, the it can, presidential and, election. And it could be really, really minute census is used and both parties will say it should be this, it should be that with an eye on how can it affect their chances of staying in power? Well, now then I have to ask you, after this discussion, you started out against the electoral college and were um, vying towards the popular vote. Have we changed your mind? No. <laughs> <laughs> And we've seen that in your stance even more then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of like what you guys are saying to me just makes me feel like you should support abolishing the Electoral College. The one thing that really does make me like the Electoral College is it protects against uneducated voters, I feel. And I feel like if it was one vote, you know, one person being a, the third most populous country in the world, people might vote without actually educating themselves on issues or understanding their candidates' stances, and that could be detrimental. So that is the one piece that I do like about the Electoral College. Um, but I still stand that with, you know, the Constitution saying all men are created equal, our voting system should also bring equality to the people casting their vote. So. Um, lovely discussion. I, you guys brought up a lot of great points. I think anybody listening could find something to maybe change their mind or support their opinion. And if you do want to talk to us about anything we've said today, you can connect with us on social media at I'm right podcast. That's I M A R I G H T P O D C A S T or send us an email at info at, uh, I'm right podcast.com. And uh, if you have ideas, let us know as well. So that brings us to next week. Um, what do you want to do for a topic? 
Jess, before, before we get a topic, um, I would ask that people that have listened to this podcast, go to the National Archives uh, and review it. it. It has good information on the Electoral College. Um, go and look at the, the Federalist Papers that, you know, the Founding Fathers made essays. That's what they are, actually, essays from their opinions. The website for the Secretary of State's just get past the surface of looking at a, an election because you're a Republican or a Democrat. Or what mm -hmm. what's really concerns me is the people that kinds of who to vo vote for, whether it's a school board here in town or the president. If you haven't got your mind made up by the time you get to the the place to vote, that is a, a scary thought there. Yeah, and I, you know, hate to say that up after you've asked for our next topic. Um, I think it, it would be good to stay with the, the hot topic of what's being debated right now. It it seems that one of the hot spots, and I'll use that as a pun, is climate change. Oh, oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Happy? <laughs> um, no, I think it could be interesting and maybe spawn off some secondary conversations as well. It's something I definitely like to get into more and look at. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see historical patterns versus, you know, scientifically researched man-made patterns and where we're at. And um, I don't want to know how you guys feel yet, but <laughs> <laughs> this one might get heavy. <laughs> Okay, you know, we, we've done melon ballots, we've done the Electoral College, maybe it is time to step into the next topic and, you know, put this, this subject here to bed. Definitely, let's do it, because okay. um, everyone has an opinion on climate change. It's one of those where there's no if, ands, or buts in people's minds, it's there or it's not. So I'm ready to hit the ropes on that one with you. Okay, let's rock and roll. Okay, well, in my, my ending, comment i would like to propose that people do educate themselves and as your data suggested go deeper than just the candidate's name or what you mm -hmm. hear on educate yourself and be prepared when you go to the ballot know what you believe in know your vote at that point in time Definitely. Education is key and it's our responsibility to educate ourselves on who we are voting for. And, you know, my favorite Instagram account right now is Settle for Biden um, <laughs> because sometimes you just can't get what you want, but you have to settle some way. And it's a hilarious account. Um, but, you know, we really do have to educate ourselves. And if we would start diving deeper into the power that we hold as voters, we wouldn't have another shitty election where we don't have what we need coming up. Um, 330 million people in the US and we get these four. I've said that before and I'll say it again. I, I really wish we would have a vote on the ballots that we, you could check like none of the above and we just start over. Uh, <laughs> you know, saying that, that that's where the two party system controls because it's like you say, are these the two best people we have to run the United States? Maybe it is time for people to get up in arms and legitimize having an independent party or a third party that 
gives people a choice. You know, right now it's not who you're wanting to vote for as much as who you want to vote against. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, exactly. I have to say that both of our candidates have a tarnished history. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, you have a businessman who entered politics with a tarnished history based upon his business background, and you have a 47-year member of the political party with a tarnished background. And I won't go any further on that one, but um, that's what we have to choose. So what is the best option? Yeah. I mean, why are we, I don't even want to put my thoughts onto both of them out there. <laughs> like, I'm just not going to say it. I settled, I, I sent my ballot in, I settled for Biden, um, but I don't want to, I was so disappointing and I don't, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> my heart broke. Well, and in our household here not to talk politics um, you know because your mother and I have been married 44 years now and I'd like to you know from here on to be you know, <laughs> I'd like to be start talking politics sometimes that <laughs> politics is a toughie situation there's a it's lot of emotion there yeah, speaking of that, um, there is a great website that one of my friends just told me about. If you do want to look at what people stand for, called ballotopedia.org. It's B A L L O T P E D I A.org. You can really dive deep into issues, how people stand for, for candidates, both local and nationally. And then on YouTube, if you do want to dive deeper into how this next election might come out, there is a great video from Let's Talk Elections called the 2020 Electoral College Nightmare put out on September 9th of this year. And it really goes um, interesting into the importance of voting and how the Electoral College really assures that neither one of our candidates right now is a shoe in and we need to quit thinking that one is or one is not in order to protect our future. So definitely um, check those out, educate yourself, get to the polls, send us your ideas, reach out to us on social media. Um, Mom and dad, thanks so much for the great conversation today. I always appreciate doing this and spending this little hour with you guys. Well, and we appreciate you know, the conversation with you because you bring you know, a different set of eyes, both from your age and your experience, but also from being outside the U.S., how other countries and people view us in our processes, not just in elections, but other things that are, are done. It, it's insightful for us to hear that perspective and thoughts from outside our country. Well, thank you very much. All right, listeners, I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And this was episode five of You Know I'm Right, the podcast. Make sure to like, subscribe, leave a con comment, feedback, share with your friends if you're enjoying what we are doing. Help our little podcast grow and reach more viewers and always talk to us. We love to talk to you and we'll see you next week as we move off of elections and into climate change. Have a great week.